0: This is an update on the Religious Discrimination Bill, which many of you will know the government had been promising to introduce into the parliament before the end of the year. And the last sitting week of parliament for the year was the week starting the 1st of December. Now, that week has come and it has gone and all the MPs and staffers are heading back to their various corners of the country and there is no bill. And you might be thinking, well, why is that? Well, the Prime Minister has announced, and indeed there he is announcing on the screen, uh, he has announced that uh, that the bill will be delayed until February 2020. And the short story is this, it's been delayed because we asked for it to be delayed. So that's a pretty remarkable thing that uh, our concerns with the bill were raised with the Prime Minister, with the Attorney General, with uh, others as well in cabinet and the the party at large uh, and those concerns were heard. The sense that the bill isn't quite right, it isn't quite ready uh, and it is going to be redrafted and that's been ordered by the PM uh, and it will be introduced again in February 2020 after that second draft is released around Christmas New Year. This is good news because your concerns, our concerns have been heard. Now I've been saying for a little while that there are some concerns, let me step you through in as clear a terms as I can what some of those are just so you're in the picture. Uh, we've always said, for example, that a discrimination framework is not the ideal way to protect religious freedom because those are two slightly different kinds of rights and also um, Christians are not people who sue using discrimination laws on the whole Uh, and so it's not necessarily that helpful. Also, a lot of the state discrimination laws already exist. However, When the first draft of this bill was introduced earlier in the year, it included a number of extra things that made it a genuinely helpful piece of legislation, which responded to a range of actual, genuine community issues, which we are coming across on a regular basis here at ACL and within church circles and Christian circles and faith-based circles. There's obviously the famous people like Falau, but there's a whole lot of others as well who are of really requiring some legal protection. They're not sort of famous enough to, uh, to have their case heard in the same way. And look, the extras that the bill offered were firstly, for example, a clause to ensure that the next Israel Falau won't happen, a clause to prevent the, uh, the next Archbishop Julian Porteous from happening. A clause to ensure that uh, medical professionals uh, who have a faith would have some degree of conscientious protection in their work, midwives and pharmacists and doctors and nurses and all these kinds of people. Uh, and, and also a clause in there that says that Christian uh, organizations, faith based organizations like charities, schools uh, and religious bodies and so on, would be able to act in accordance with their beliefs and uphold their ethos without running foul of the law. Those are all great inclusions. But when you look into the details, there's a couple of little issues which I'll explain explain, which we then explain to the government, and that's why the bill's getting redrafted. The first of those concerns doesn't actually relate to any of those four bonus features that are really good that I sort of mentioned. The first of those concerns actually relates to the fact that the bill doesn't define religious activity, and that goes to the very heart and core of the bill. Everything builds off of that. Religious activity is the thing the bill protects. That's at the heart of it. And if the bill doesn't define what religious activity is, then the courts will define what religious activity is and based on the trends right around the world and here in Australia, courts are defining religious activity more and more narrowly. Think about it this way, would an Instagram post be considered by a court religious activity? Would a conversation over a water cooler at work be considered by a court to be religious activity? would giving a presentation at an ostensibly secular conference, but about, say, uh, gender with a Christian understanding of gender, you know, interwoven, is that a religious activity? And so I could go on. And so you find yourself in a situation where you could get courts taking a very narrow understanding of what religious activity is. For example, it's going to church, it's praying, it's fasting, things like that. But no, it's not those public activities, they're not religious, they're, some, they're secular activities, public activities, p- commercial activities, things like that, um, professional activities. Um, you don't want to get into that situation. And so the Bill really has to make it clear that actually activities that you engage in every day, which are consistent with your faith and grounded in your faith, and they're genuine and all the rest of it, um, well, that should be protected. But then if you move into some of those four bonuses that I that I mentioned, some of those four features of the bill that make it really useful and genuinely helpful to ordinary people, you know, you can look at the Israel flower Clause, I call it, the clause that says basically, if you make a statement of belief, your employer can't fire you, uh, except under certain conditions. Um, now, the problem with that at first is that it had the unintended consequence of uh, enabling secondary boycotts and activist campaigns against businesses. Because what it said was that, you know, if you're a company, you can't fire someone based on their genuine statement of belief that isn't malicious and nasty. Uh, You can't fire them um, um, uh, unless it would cause you unjustifiable financial hardship to keep them. And you know where that's going to go. You get, you know, the Rugby Australia situation where you had, you know, sponsors, as the chairman said, you know, Qantas and others, and the chairman mentioned sponsors who put huge pressure on Rugby Australia and said, we're going to pull our sponsorship if you don't sack this guy. Or you know how activists use Twitter and they use boycotts and all those strategies to, you know, it could be against a big bank, it could be against somebody else to say, so long as you keep that guy employed, we're going to make your life a misery. Uh, and then, the company has to turn around and say, "Well, we've got to fire them because it's causing us unjustifiable financial hardship." You see how that accidentally enabled secondary boycotts. So that needs to be changed. Whatever the limit is, whatever the whatever the the, the 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 line in the sand is with that, it can't be as described because it will enable those secondary boycotts. Um, another problem with that section um, uh, was uh, 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 the fact that um, um, I've forgotten what was it. Ah, um, oh, yes. Another problem with that section, of course, was the fact that uh, uh, it only applies to companies with more than $50 million in revenue. In other words, they're the only ones that can't be bad guys and dismiss people simply because they made a statement of belief. And I can understand why there would be an exemption for a small business, because you think of little mechanics and things like that. You know, It's a different world, family businesses, things like that. But the problem, of course, is that public sector employees aren't included and a lot of the people who contact us for legal help because they've done something quite innocent as an expression of their religious faith even in their private time and they've had things you know done against them by their employer are actually in the public service Uh, and public sector employees should be protected. Then you turn to that clause that I mentioned, and I described it as being the clause to prevent the next Archbishop Julian Porteous from happening. Now Julian Porteous said a few things about marriage in a pastoral letter, which were very gentle and kind and decent. However, he fell foul of state anti-discrimination laws. There's a section in this bill that says a statement of belief shouldn't fall foul of a state anti-discrimination law. But of course, uh, there's an issue there in the sense that it says sort of, unless it vilifies people. And the bill itself does not define what vilify means. So again, the courts will define it and until then, nobody knows what we can and cannot say. Is vilify a really high level thing? Is it basically saying, look, it's, a, it's up at the stage of hatred and incitement to violence? Or is it a low level thing? This is well, actually, if you're offending people, then you could be, you could be vilifying them. We don't actually know. And so the word vilify needs to be defined to straighten out that clause. Uh, I mentioned that section as well that says that Christian charities or faith-based, I should say, charities and and, and educational institutions and religious bodies can act according to their faith uh, and not fall foul of the law. There's an issue with that one which says unless they are engaged in primarily commercial activities. That sounds reasonable at first until you realise that there's an awful lot of churches and an awful lot of faith groups out there that run a whole lot of entities that look commercial but actually they're raising money for a good cause or they're promoting the tenets of the faith. You think of Christian campsites, Uh, you think of childcare centres run by some of the bigger churches and all this kind of thing, and they want to make sure their staff are people who will uphold the ethos and the faith of the institution. That's important that that standard be altered somehow. There probably is a limit to be included in that section, but that's probably not quite the right limit unless there are some other changes. These are examples of the sorts of things that uh, were put together in a letter, and ACL wrote a letter, and we signed it with a whole lot of other faith groups as well, which went to the government, and look, the government has heard your voice. The government's heard our voice, and the government is redrafting this bill. It is a good thing and let me say this before I close, why is it that we want to protect religious freedom as it's called? Well my interest in this is really so that the truth might be free, so that we might be able to be witnesses to Christ and God's truth and the Gospel in all of life, in the way we live, the way we speak, the way we conduct ourselves, in every sphere in which we find ourselves as Jesus would have us to do and we can do that without living in fear, And we can do that without experiencing dreadful loss. And I think that that's a fulfilment of Paul's prayer, that the life of godliness might be a life of peace. First Timothy two, he says, pray for that when you're praying for your rulers and those who are in government. So that's why we support religious freedom as Christians. And we look forward to February, well actually we look forward to the new year period when the second draft of this bill will be released and there will be an opportunity for you to participate in the parliamentary process by raising your voice come February. Thank you. G'day, it's Martin Isles here, and it's December, and holidays are on the horizon. And personally, I'm looking forward to it because it has been a massive massive, massive year, not just for ACL, but actually for the cause of uh, goodness and truth in politics and righteousness in politics uh, in this nation. It's been absolutely incredible. And I wanted to do a quick video just to run through a highlights reel to show you what it is that your support in 2019 has actually been able to achieve. I think a lot of us become a little bit despondent at times and we we just forget what actually does happen uh, and I certainly have been so encouraged by uh, just the biggest year of my life. Uh, and just about the biggest year we've ever seen at ACL in terms of progress. I made a uh, mention of the fact that there was a, a parliamentary prayer breakfast up in Parliament just recently and at that prayer breakfast you had the Prime Minister, the Opposition Leader, the Governor General and a whole host of politicians from all sides of politics, heaps of Christians in the room. It couldn't have been more different compared to the prayer breakfast that was hosted a year earlier and you know a big part of that is that the the weather has changed in politics quite significantly because lots of incredible things have happened and here are the 2019 highlights from my point of view and I want you to be sure that as I say this, I am actually talking about the fact that this is enabled by your prayers, by your financial support and by all the things that you do in response to our calls to action. The first highlight was back in April, May. We had a federal election campaign and there was one seat in each state that was targeted and 60,000 homes in each of those seats were targeted with mostly leaflets and letterboxing, but we also did some phone canvassing and other things. And we actually targeted three of the seats that decided the federal election outcome, the most marginal. And those seats were won by what? 150, 500 and 1500 votes respectively. So I think we made a crucial difference in that miracle election outcome. And in fact, the Australian Labor Party's National Campaign Review released just recently made some acknowledgement of that fact. So thank you to everyone who was involved in that. Fast forward, we had June, July, and this is something that I'll certainly never forget. And I don't think any of us will ever forget it. It is uh, Israel Folau. Uh, and that was, of course, the time in which the campaign was started and we raised $2.2 million in just two days for about 22,000 people. And that was showing no signs of stopping. Uh, we had to put the brakes on ourselves, as a matter of fact, just to stop the money coming in. I think I keep saying we raised $200,000 by accident because between me saying stop and the thing actually stopping, uh, we raised that much uh, that much money. And of course, that was a huge moment. That was a moment in which your voice was raised and so many of the people giving to that campaign were speaking and they were speaking up for Israel and they were speaking up for a right to quote the Bible and not lose our careers. And all that happened to him was most unjust. And you know, the PR result of that was just incredible. Um, Not only did politicians here and are therefore now debating laws at the federal parliament or will be in February uh, to prevent this from happening again, but also Israel was ultimately successful in reaching this settlement with Rugby Australia, which is just a landmark thing. And a lot of that was a PR victory because the people were with him and you demonstrated that so powerfully. Uh, Certainly a big moment in my life, uh, wore the same clothes for four days in Sydney and did radio and TV interviews until my voice gave out uh, and it was just incredible and and, and manic and mad Uh, but look wouldn't change it for the world. Come August and September uh, and we had the biggest pro-life demonstrations in Australia's history and we did that in coalition with other organisations as well and that was just an incredible thing to see God's people show up in the thousands upon thousands in Hyde Park and Martin Place and you know the effect of that even though the amendments that we got at the time seemed so small the effect of that moment it continues to reverberate. And I might add that a bunch of you as ACL supporters in the regional parts of New South Wales were part of those protests, sometimes hundreds strong, in places like Tamworth and Bathurst and Maxville and, and Gunnedah and places like that where you protested outside nationals branch party meetings, demonstrating we have a grassroots movement that spreads right across the nation uh, and that there is great uh, strength in that. And of course, politicians in the New South Wales Parliament do not underestimate the fact that they continue to act today With that in the back of their mind and certain laws have not come forward for that reason. Huge highlight. Another big highlight for me was just to see the maturity of ACL as an organisation and also your incredible support at the Not Ashamed National Conference in October. We filled the International Convention Centre in Sydney. We hope to fill an even bigger theatre next time around Uh, but just for God's people to come together and say that we are bold, we're not ashamed and we're here to make a difference and shine the light of Christ in the public squares was very, very powerful. And you know, just now as we close out the year, not only have we had the Israel our settlement, but also we've had another great win, which is that uh, in relation to the Religious Discrimination Bill, we've seen the government and the Prime Minister listen to your concerns that were raised with him and he has decided that this bill needs to be redrafted and a second draft needs to come before the Parliament in February 2020. Now that is a direct result of uh, our, our access and our our advocacy in the political sphere, and it's actually a direct result, therefore, of your support because it's your numbers, it's your zeal, it's all that you do that gives us uh, the strength and the influence that we need to achieve all of the things that we achieve. So, I want to say a huge, huge thank you for the year that was. It's been absolutely incredible. There's a reason why I'm hankering to get to Queensland and have a break, uh, and it's because it's been massive. But it is Christmas, and uh, let me just read to you one of my favourite Christmas scriptures from Luke 1, most of them are in Luke 1 actually, um, the Song of Zacharias in, 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 in Luke one sixty eight. he says this and this reminds us of what it's all about, he says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David, as He spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets from of old, to give knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace." And you know, our world doesn't like to acknowledge that it sits in darkness, but I see political and social and moral realities in my job every day that prove it beyond a doubt that we live in a dark world. And here's the miracle of Christmas, the light has come. In a great act of mercy, God has sent the light, the Son of God, Jesus Christ Himself, to die and to redeem us from the darkness and to save us from sin. And never let anyone tell you that that light does not continue to shine today. He shone and He shines through His witnesses to the ends of the earth. And I want to say this, look at what that light does in a dark world when God's people stand up. You know, in Matthew 5, He says, we are called to be the light not lights under baskets, not lights on lampstands but lights like cities on hills in a bold proclamation and declaration of the light of Christ and of God's truth in all that we do in this world not the light of the church, the light of the world and He calls us to that and He promises two outcomes. He says you'll be reviled, people will be angrily disgusted, you'll be persecuted, people will say all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account but He also says in that very same section and people will see your good works and they will glorify your Father who is in heaven. Never let anyone say that this is fruitless. It absolutely isn't. And the light of Jesus Christ continues to shine and that's why we're here. It all comes back to that one person. It all comes back to that moment in history as we continue to advocate for truth in the public squares as witnesses of Jesus Christ. I want to say thank you again. Thank you for your support, including of this program, the truth of it. I mean, it's been an astounding success like I could never have imagined and I want to say from myself personally, and also from the extraordinary team at ACL, Merry Christmas. Well, you will have heard by now that Israel Folau has reached a historic settlement with Rugby Australia. And the question arises, well, what does it all mean and where to from now? Well, do you know something, this is a PR victory as much as it is a legal victory. There's no doubt that Rugby Australia were not fully confident that the law was on their side and that played into the reason why they agreed to settle in this way in a spectacular way which I think a lot of people didn't expect a few months ago but also they were confident that the people were not on their side and I say that because right from the very beginning your support for Israel has meant a very great deal when you gave money and you actually raised their voice and had your voice heard through that campaign Uh, and you know, it revealed what many never suspected, which is that the public are indeed on the whole, on his side. Um, And there are enduring legacies that come out of this case. Many people will look at it and think, what was the point? Where did it all lead? I want to identify just three things, which I can tell you are things that happened, which have ongoing ramifications for good in this nation. And the first one's very simple. It's this, the gospel was proclaimed. From the very beginning I was impressed to make sure that the truth of the message that Israel had proclaimed got out rather than be stifled because that is what they wanted to do. They wanted to reject it, insult it, stifle it and make sure that it did not get out as people from even in the Christian church walked away and said, yes, yes, that's right. We don't think that way. Well, actually the message of repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ is the single biggest need in our society today. And here's the reality, Israel Folau's post declared firstly that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The same apostle which wrote the verse he paraphrased wrote that verse in Romans, all have sinned and he included all categories of people for that reason. It also included this reality which our world hates, that all of us will on a day as real as this very one be judged by God and we will bear the awful weight of His holy judgment. And that will be the case unless we have Christ. Israel said in his post, only Jesus saves and it's only in him, in repentance toward God, in faith in Jesus Christ that we find the answer and actually we find new life and real life itself. And whether it was the Sunday Project, Sunrise Today, uh, the myriads of news bulletins, dozens of radio stations, newspaper front pages across the nation or indeed Israel's ongoing preaching in the weeks and months that followed, God's voice was heard in this nation. And there's a whole lot of people that will say, well, you know, the message of repentance should be avoided because it's not popular and it just doesn't work and all this kind of thing. Reality is that simply isn't true. And when you do that, you're trying to do God's job for him and say, no, I can modify God's message and make it better than he has managed to make it, which is absolute rubbish. Um, There are no parts of this message which are good and parts that are bad. It's all good because it's all in the interests it's all in everyone's highest and true interests which is to say it is loving, there's no doubt about it. Do you know I was in a church recently and I thought of the Israel Folau case because a guy got up to tell his testimony, he was a Vietnamese migrant, he was working in an office building and a bloke in his office building simply walked up to him and said these words, he said you're a sinner and you need a saviour and then he became awkward and he walked away and simply because of those words which many would say were not sophisticated, Many would say could have been articulated better. Many would say shouldn't have been said in such an unloving and standalone manner. Or or perhaps, you know, there's a better theological expression of those things. You could criticise it all you like, but that guy went home and those words actually bothered him for a long time as he lived his life until finally he turned to God and he was converted. It's an incredible story. You just don't know what voices God uses when they are raised in faith. I think we've got to just think a little bit more along the lines that God has more power in this than we do and we cannot improve an already perfect message. We need to tell it all. So the gospel was proclaimed in this nation, the voice of God was heard. For me, that's actually the number one. But there's two others. The second one is this, that religious freedom laws are now being drafted. Um, Back in June that particular week when this dominated the headlines, it had a huge political impact. I felt it and others in the political sphere felt it. Many politicians who were afraid of the religious freedom issue before, suddenly realised that it had public support and it had a meaningful impact. And all of a sudden we found ourselves in a situation where a religious discrimination bill was being drafted that contained some clauses that went some way to ensuring that an Israel Folau type situation couldn't happen again. And that was an incredible turnaround in a short period of time. And many people will be upset that Israel Falau's case didn't create legal precedent in the High Court, but it is about to create legal precedent in a slightly different way through legislation, which could actually, if done right, be even more powerful. So it has had that legacy. The the third thing to highlight for me, the ongoing legacy that people who gave to this have created is that big corporates like Rugby Australia and many others that we could name and, and indeed companies all over the place will think twice The next time they go to do the wrong thing on this. There is a really worrying trend in Australia whereby you have people who have accrued a little bit of power to themselves whether they're a HR manager or they're a CEO or they're just a bureaucrat or something and what they're doing is they are using that power to ruin the careers or otherwise uh, harm people in real and tangible and devastating ways simply because they don't like what they believe. That is going on and Israel Folau had the fame to get him over the line to some degree. There are many people out there who are not famous, who the media will never be interested in in talking to, who are facing this and worse in their own lives. And it is therefore super, super important that the message gets sent, that companies that try this can't do it and get away with it. And I hope that actually one of the fruits of that will be that many people across the nation, and I think this has been a fruit by the way because of various reasons, but many people across the nation will be emboldened to stand for truth in their respective spheres and circumstances come what may and that there'll be many who would otherwise have decided to shut them down who might just think twice before they do it again. So I think that we all owe Israel Folau a debt of gratitude for standing firm where so many before him have compromised, have bent and have not stood as he stood, even though it was so hard. And even though it went through ups and downs and there were good days and there were really bad days, I pray that there will be more people in this nation who will be prepared to be like Daniel, for example, in the Old Testament, in a society that was, you know, hostile to what he believed and serve God rather than men come what may. And you know, for Daniel, that was the first day of the rest of his life God looked after him and God saw him through and you know that's been Israel's testimony so far and so with an eye to the future let us think of the lessons from this case but also rejoice that God has used it in these enduring ways and thank you for the way that you were involved in it as well.